Good. Amazing. Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, this week's Parsh Tazria, but as has become our custom when we get together in person, we go through some of the Midos and Hadrachos, some of the traits and the paths that Rav Tzadok Hakayin of Lublin uh, teaches us, things that we found in his little notes uh, that we extrapolate for life. We're up to Zion, we're up to number seven. We'll learn this together before we begin the Parsha. So here he goes. The next thing, last week we focused on um, not getting involved in Machlokas. Okay, in disputes, we came out with some beautiful messages of that. And now we're up to Zion. When you want to say to your friend, the person comes to their friend and they say, they want to ask them, why'd you do this? Don't ask right away when you see it. It's worthwhile opening up the conversation with other topics. Don't just say, why did you do that? Speak about, speak about the weather. You know, somebody once told me, as much as you want to complain about the weather, it opens up 90% of conversations. So we have to have a little bit of a car dive. You know, a little bit of gratitude to the weather. Talk about something else for a little bit. And you also need to know, how to offer these words of rebuke. Perhaps you... Don't need to rebuke right now. You come back later, different, more opportune time, or you won't have to do it twice. Maybe you do have to do it twice. You know why? Because the need to rebuke really is not a good thing. It's fascinating. You know, there are certain mitzvahs that it's a mitzvah, but we shouldn't want to do it. We shouldn't want to do it. So, he says, the way to perform, the Torah says, listen, you see something wrong happening, you're going to have to do something about it. But there's a way to go about doing it and realize it's a tov. It's a type of mitzvah we should be hesitant to want to accomplish. And some people live for this mitzvah. I'm waiting for somebody to make a mistake so I can rebuke, you know? Um, the gam, like, it's like there's two types of shushers in shul. Right? There's one person, they, they don't want talking in shul. So if somebody talks, they say, shh. There's another person that's waiting. They want people to talk so they could shush. You know, it's like, ouch. <laughs> you know, like you're waiting for them. Hey, you don't want to, you don't want to, prefer it didn't happen. The gam is bayish. You also have to make sure there's no embarrassment involved. Oli bodo mimenu legamre. Perhaps if I don't know how to give the rebuke, maybe I'm not the right person for this. The gam davar she'eno Nishma, and it's also interesting how Rav Tzadik is point, is putting this together. He says, um, "Not to be lishmoa davar she'eno nishma, um, not to hear something that is not meant to be heard." You know, sometimes we want to something's done it, and it really wasn't our place to be involved in this information either. These are very, very delicate situations. Just to explain, you know, uh, I mean, many of us can think, it's more fun to think about other people and us being the righteous ones in these scenarios. It's just more fun to do it that way. Uh, but there's a Gemara in Dafyomi, a fascinating Gemara that it's discussing a particular halacha. And the Gemara says, there was a conversation in the Beis Medrash and one of Ravdosa ben Horkinus. Rav Dosib and Horkinus was quoted to rule like Shammai. Usually there's a dispute between Shammai and Hillel. So they quoted Dosib and Horkinus to rule like Shammai. Now, 
um, he was one of the Gedoli Adar. So for him to quote Shammai and to rule like that, that was big news for the Jews. That was like, you know, that was like a no-no. So the people of the yeshiva put together a team. It was Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, and Rabbi Yeshua. Okay, this is the high Arkan team, but they were all younger, and they were going, they were going to go talk to him about him ruling like Beishamai. So the Gemara says they showed up, to, they, they, you know, they, they, first they were chosen, Rabbi Dosa ben Horkness at the time was blind, so Rabbi Yeshua, who was familiar with him, walked in first, Rabbi Dosa greets him, he says, oh, thank you for coming, uh, please sit down, Rabbi Yeshua sits down, and he says, oh, by the way, Rabbi, I have, there's somebody else here. He says, who's here? He says, Abelazar ben Azariah. I'm just sharing this because it's a fascinating Gemara. Not all of it's uh, connected to this. But he says, Abelazar ben Azariah. He says, who's Abelazar ben Azariah? He says, uh, I know Azariah. I don't know, I don't know, I didn't know he has a son. He was elderly. He, said, he says, yeah, he has a son. He, we appointed him Rosh Hashiva. He's the one who in the Haggadah was 18 years old. He says, I'm like 70 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So he was younger. Abelazar ben Horkinus, he was a young Talmud Chacham. He hadn't heard of him. He says, oh, I didn't know that, huh? Very nice, nice to meet you. Okay, come sit down. Rabbi Yeshua says, there's a third person here. Who's the third person? Rabbi Akiva. He says, oh, Akiva ben Yosef? The Balchuva? He says, yeah, he says, Psh, Akiva ben Yosef. He gives him a big hug. He says, you're the one, who your name is starting to grow across the whole world. What an honor to have you, huh? And, he's, he, uh, and uh, Rabbi Akiva sits down. And the Gwana says, they start talking to each other about random topics in Torah, in Halacha. And they, over the course of time, the Gemara says, they segued the conversation over to the area that was discussed in the base Medrash. And they said, we heard in your name that you rule like Shammai. They didn't jump in and sit down and be like, Rebbe, we got a problem here. We got a problem. You rule like Shammai. They they segued, they made it over. Everything was done with complete respect and with very, very, very thoughtful. Um, And they said, "We, we heard you rule like Shammai. And Rav Dosa Ben says, that's interesting. Who, who was quoted? Did they quote Dosa? Or did they quote Ben Horkinus in the base Medrash? My first name or my last name? My last names back then were the father's name. His father's name was, he was the son of Horkinus. So they said, actually it was quoted by the son of Horkinus. And you're the son of Horkinus. He says, no, no, I actually have a baby brother. I have a younger brother. And boy, is he a toughie. He's a tough guy. He's a Talmud of Shammai, and you cannot change his mind for nothing. But for me, I rule like hell. You can relax. Like, <laughs> you take it easy. Like, you know, and there, there's so much. There's, it's a story. Then Gomorrah, like, moves on. Gomorrah says, Rabbi Akiva tried, when they left, Rabbi Akiva actually met Dosa's brother, and Dosa's brother, like, wiped the floor with him in learning. And then and Rabbi Akiva said, oh, Dosa was right, which also is sometimes you meet people, they're just way too smart, but they're still wrong. They have every reason in the world why they're right. You cannot disprove them, but they're still wrong. Right? We've quoted a story. It's, 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 it's so true. We've quoted a story about the Chassam Seifer. Chassam Seifer passed away at a relatively young age. Um, but um, he was probably about... He passed away in his, in his mid-70s, but he was in his young 70s at the time. And there's a, I've, I, I love this. It's, it's amazing because it's so crucial in, in, in Torah and Judaism. He was sitting in the back of Abish Medrash, and there was two young, sharp whippersnappers, you know, studying next. And they see the great Hassam Sofer, the great Gadol Adar, sitting, sitting there. So they come over to ask him a question on Gemara. And Hassam Sofer gives them an answer, and they tore it to shreds. They proved him why he's completely wrong. 
So he gives them another answer. And they ripped it up. So he looks at them and he says, my second answer is right. Right now I can't tell you why you're wrong, but we have a rule in Torah. And that is, one older person is always more correct than two young whippersnappers. And he moved on. He's, in other words, I can't answer you right now, but I know I'm right. And I'm right. And that was it. That's the, it's such a crucial story. Because sometimes like, you, you, you know something's right from your experience. And then some brilliant person comes on. They did this. They did. They did every hap in the world while you're wrong. And you're like, I, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to disprove you. I just know you're wrong. <laughs> I have like a certain like feeling about this. And I, I have enough experience in something to know it's not happening. So, um, you know, that, that's what happened with Rabbi Akiva and the younger brother of Dosa. Dosa's, the Gemara says Dosa's brother in Torah wiped the floor clean with Rabbi Akiva. Akiva couldn't, couldn't get into a whole thing with that, oh, the big Rabbi Akiva. But Rabbi Akiva still right. He was still right. We still rule like Hillel, uh, despite that. Okay, so getting back to uh, Rav Tzadik. Rav Tzadik says that, uh, He says, therefore, this is how he ends off this, this uh, little note about how to rebuke and when to rebuke. He says, therefore, if you're ever going to rebuke, make sure it's your friend and not a wicked person. Two things that you need. First of all, that it's somebody who you have a relationship with and also not a wicked person. Now this statement comes straight from King Solomon, straight from Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech tells us that give rebuke to a fool and they will hate you. Give rebuke to a wise person and they'll love you. There are some people we know, if you say something, it's just going to cause more frustration, more argument. More, if there's no productive reason, so don't say it. So don't say it. But if there, there are other people, they really want to grow. They really want to develop. They want to know what's right. I have one of my brother-in-laws told me, one of my younger brother-in-laws, he comes from a different, uh, um, uh, more, more what the yeshiva world calls him, more of a modern style uh, background, a gadol. Like he's, he's, he's a mamish, an incredible Abed Hashem, an incredible person. And he told me that when he got married to my sister, um, my father saw in him that he's just, he's, he's a very, still, he's a very um, methodical, and he's a very methodical person. And like if he, if he comes across something, he does it. Like, if this is what the law says, that's what I'm going to do. If it says, like, there's no, like, gray in his life. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. So he said, my father told him, Africa, he was like, he's marrying Rabbi Tumner's daughter. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, what is, you know, he's coming from a whole different type of background than my family's coming from. And, you know, a different yeshiva system and everything. And now he's, you know, he's, he's marrying into this uh, large family. He said, my father told him that if you ever see me, talking about, my father's talking about himself. My father said to him, if you ever see me doing something that you've seen is incorrect, I need you to tell me. I need you to tell me. Don't be like, if you see me doing, halacha says something, or there's a, you know, or, I want to know. I want to know. I don't know everything. And he said, like, it's, it kind of like broke the ice for him. Like, oh, like, I can offer something over here too, <laughs> you know. But there's, like, no matter how it is, you know, the, the classic example that we give, we'll hold it here with Ritzavik, the classic example that I, we give and I've heard from my rabbi and has to do with tefillin, which is more for men. But uh, my father would say, you have somebody who's 119 years old. 119 years old. 
and uh, somebody walks over to this fellow and he says, you know, your tefillin is down on your forehead. You really have to wear it by your hairline. It has to be above your hairline. So one type of person is going to respond, listen, Baitchik, you know, I've, uh, I've been doing this for 108 years. Don't tell me what to do. You know? Another person says, you know, I've been doing this for 108 years. Thank you so much. Now I know how to do it correctly. It's, it's a mindset. It's a growth mindset, as they call it, right? If, says of Tzaddik, if somebody has a growth mindset, it's worthwhile opening your mouth. Somebody who, has, somebody who wants to know. Somebody, otherwise, we have to be, you know, it's, uh, otherwise one should be hesitant. Okay, here we go. Let's get, now get into our Parsha, Parsha's Tazria. So interestingly, last week's Parsha ended off with the laws of kosher and non-kosher food, um, pure and impure food. And this week's Parsha is focused on a mitzora, somebody who speaks Lashon Hara and ends up with what is translated in English improperly as leprosy. It's the, it is the best translation to give. The issue is leprosy is a physical ailment and saras is completely spiritual. You do tshuva and it goes away. It has nothing to do with real leprosy, but that's, it, I guess it comes out on the body like that. So that's how they, uh, that's how, that's going to be the focus of saras. It's called, now the parsha doesn't begin with that mitzvah, interestingly. The parsha begins with the mitzvah of the laws of somebody who gives birth. So we go from kosher food, and we have a few verses here about a woman who gives birth, laws of purity, impurity, there's a bris milah on the day, on the eighth day, and then we get into what happens in the rest of the parsha and next week's parsha, which is a big focus on the laws of a mitzorah. So Rabbi Saul Salanter famously uh, asks, what's the connection? How does one parsha flow into the next? The laws of kosher food? going into the laws of forbidden speech and being negative towards others. So Rabbi Saul Slanter says, he says, because unfortunately there are many of us who are more concerned about being careful about what um, kosher symbols we eat. The way he says it is kosher symbols, kosher supervision, OU, star K, OK, you know, uh, Torah K, tablet K, you know, whatever. So uh, anything with a K is, uh, you know, size for a K itself. <laughs> but Ibsal um, Zlantar says, unfortunately, many of us are more careful with what goes in our mouth than what comes out of our mouth. So the Torah juxtaposes. And the Torah puts them together and says the responsibility of a Jew is to be as careful with what comes out of our mouth as what goes in our mouth. Therefore, it segues straight from the laws of kosher What's going in to the laws of what's kosher when it goes out, the, the words that we utter. Yeah, go ahead. So I hate to digress, but last week's Parsha, we, my husband and I were talking. Right. That's what it's all about, right? The, what, what Linda's bringing up is that to make a kosher animal, there's an internal sign, which is chewing the cud, an external sign, which is the split hooves. Um, uh, P-I-G, called the chazir. You know what chazir means? No. Chazir means uh, to return. Now, a chazir is a pig mm-hmm. in Hebrew, yeah. but chazir is like chazara. Chazar Sashats to return. The sages tell us that in the times of Mashiach, it's going to return to being kosher. A pig's going to be kosher. Why? Listen, this is fascinating. Because... It's so delicious. Huh? It's so because... Delicious. It, okay. <laughs> the Gemara and Chulin tells us... If it's, there's a fascinating Gemara and Chulin. I can't list the whole thing right now. But there's a fascinating Gemara and Chulin that, um, that goes through a whole list of forbidden foods that if you want to eat it in a kosher way, you could. 
Very interesting. It says, if you want to taste the cheeseburger, eat this type of kosher food. If you want to taste it, it's fascinating gemara. But uh, be it as a mason, go back. Why? So, um, the, the camel, for example, only has the internal sign, not the external sign. Um, a chazir has an external sign, not an internal sign, which is why it's like the classic non-kosher animal is that, because it presents itself as kosher. But it's external. It's external. A giraffe's kosher. A camel, you mean? No, I'm saying a giraffe. Oh, yeah, okay. We, don't, we just don't have a masora. We just don't have a masora. We don't know how to shecht it, so therefore, uh, therefore we don't need it. That's it. Um, okay. <laughs> I'll look up the Gemara Chulin. I don't know if you want to eat a, if you want to eat a camel. I don't know. All right, but uh, back on track over here. All right, so that's the message from Rabbi Sol Salanto. We need to be as careful with what comes out of our mouth as we do with what goes, uh, what goes in our mouth. Now, there's a, uh, the question is, there's a few verses in between, though, right? A few verses about the laws of a woman who gives birth. So there's a fascinating Vilna Gon, uh, just worthwhile mentioning. Um, the Vilna Gon brings various proofs from a Gemara that talks about the food that a woman eats while she's pregnant also has an impact on the child that's growing inside of her because that child is being nourished from the same food that that woman is, uh, is eating, Okay, and so he says the way the Vonagon explains that you go from the laws of kosher food to the laws of a woman giving birth to a woman who's pregnant to teach us that it's also going to apply even more so how careful um, uh, expectant mother uh, needs to be with that food going in. And then we're moving on to the message of Mitzorah. So it really, according to him, the first few verses of our parsha are like an added idea over the laws of kosher and non-kosher. Okay, so he says, What, what does Hashem command? Moshe, speak to Bnei Yisrael and, and say, Isha kisajia, when a woman conceives viol de zachar, she gives birth to a male, she's going to be impure for seven days. If she gives birth to a female, she's going to be impure for 14 days. Why, why seven and 14? Seven, because we know in Judaism, when do, whenever you have impurity, that's actually a sign of holiness. Okay, impurity is not a sign of a lack of holiness, the opposite. Whenever you had holiness, that and that holiness is now is now uh, now has left us. So impurity, the way Hashem made it, just fills that vacuum. So a classic impurity is going to be a corpse. So you have this body, the suitcase that housed the neshama, a holy right, a breath of Hashem, and then the neshama leaves. So the corpse is impure. Why? Because something so holy was there, it left. So now impurity comes in. Every time you find impurity, it's fascinating. Every time you find impurity, that is actually symbolic of holiness being there. If there was never holiness in the, in the first place, you wouldn't have impurity. And by a male who doesn't have the ability to have his own children, so a woman's impure for seven days. But when a woman gives birth to a female, so now, until now, she's been the Arun HaKodesh, right? She's housed a little growing Sefer Torah in, inside of her. Now, if it's a female that's born, that Sefer Torah itself has within their biological abilities to have its own child. So we kind of view it like 14 days. Like not only did she use the, the not only did the Kedusha leave her body, but the Kedusha that has the ability to create more Kedusha left her body. So it's going to be, it's going to be 14 days as opposed to seven days of a male. It's fascinating. Okay. Ubayom Ashmini, on day number eight, Yimol Basar Elaso, we go ahead and we do a Brismila. Here's a few things to uh, discuss on these, uh, on these first two psukim. There's a custom that people have before a bris, before the eighth day, uh, to do something called, in, in, uh, some people call it a shema, called a shema, other people call it a vachnacht in, in Yiddish. Um, where does it come from? 
what's the source that, but like the night before the bris, sometimes kids come over and they give out little candies and, and the kids say Shema with the baby. It's not a halacha, um, but it's, it's a custom that people have. And the Balshamtov, founder of, the, of Hasidus, he actually had a Talmud, um, Rav Mordcha of Zoslov, was that this student of the Balshamtov, he was actually appointed over all of the Shemaz, of all the, he was in charge to set it up. The night before any baby born, uh, uh, baby boy has a bris milah, he was in charge of making sure that it was said. So his friend, uh, Rav Pinchas Mikoritz, asked Rav Mordechai, he asked him, like, what's the whole, what's the whole idea with this? Why, why do we do this? So he told him, he said, he said because the Gemara in Brachos, Tafyud Gimel Amaral of 13a, the Gemara says that the way that the Shema prayer is structured is we have Shema Yisrael Hashem HaKinosh HaMechad, which is accepting upon ourselves Om HaChoshamayim, right? The, the yoke of heaven. Eh? And then we get into the second paragraph of Vahaya Im Shema if you listen to the word of Hashem and you follow, you fulfill the mitzvahs. Why is it like that? The Gemara explains, because before you do, you have to know who you're doing it to, why you're doing it, what's this relationship that's happening over here. Therefore, a baby, before it performs its first mitzvah, Brismila, we say Shema with it, we say the first verse of Shema, so, so the baby will already have in its, in its um, atmosphere, in its head, the words of accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven before actually entering and, do, and fulfilling its first mitzvah. <clears throat> now there's a, there's a Gemara Megillah. The Gemara tells us, you know, we have what's called the Amidah, the Shemon Esrei. The Shemon Esrei nowadays really has 19 brachos, and as opposed to 18, there was a 19th one added of Allah Mashinim. Um, the Gemara Megillah, goes through why it's in the order than it is. Not, nothing's random. Nothing's random. We know that. So there's a, there's a real order why the Shemona Esrei is established in that particular way. The Gemara tells us, by the way, one of the things that is, uh, uh, I don't want uh, anybody to get too excited. Gemara says the reason why the seventh blessing is Geula, is about redemption, is because the Geula is going to happen right when Shemitah is over. We're in the Shemitah year. We're in the Shemitah year, and there's a lot happening very fast right now in the world. It's, 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 it's fascinating. The eighth bracha, so that's seventh bracha, is about the redemption. The eighth bracha is refuah, for healing. Why is the eighth bracha for refuah? So the Gemara says, because a baby that has a bris on the eighth day. Since a baby has a bris on the eighth day, so it's appropriate to connect it, so it's appropriate to have the, the eighth bracha being for bris The obvious question is, that um, that's not the only time somebody needs refuah shalema, right? And not only that, we're doing it ourselves. You know, it's like, it's a, so the Imrayemes of Ger, the Ger Rebbe, says a, a beautiful thing. He says that the truth is, we know it like Harsinai, everybody was healed. Without Averos, people are healed. If there wouldn't be Averos in the world, right? Then, you know, if the world would be a better place, the whole world would be Mount Sinai Hospital, you know, from Harsinai, and same way everybody was healed at, at Harsinai. So he says there's one refuah that's always going to be needed before Mashiach, before the sin, or, and afterwards, and that is uh, brismila, because a brismila is, uh, is going to be a, a, um, a refuah that's needed always. He says all the other illnesses are not all time illnesses. Mirza Hashem, everything's going to go away. So therefore, why do we say that the, the Rifa'inu is established as the eighth bracha? Because we know there's going to be one time, everybody's, you know, every, 
that there's going to be one type of refuah that's always needed, and that's going to be the refuah of bris mila. Nice idea. Okay. Um, so bayom hashmini yimol besar arlos, and if they they do a um, they do a bris mila on the arla, fine. Then the psukim go through the various amount of days that there's of purity, of impurity, the types of sacrifices that are brought, and now we get on to. Um, the halachos of a mitzorah. So let's try to spend a few minutes on that. This begins in Parakid Gimel, chapter 13, uh, eight verses into our parsha. So here we go. Ba'idabashon Moshe ba'aron leymar, Shem spoke to Moshe ba'aron, saying, Adam, a human, ki'iyeh ba'ar besaro, when they have on the on their skin, sa'eso, sa'pachas, a affliction called a sa'es, a sa'pachas affliction, Rashi explains to us there's different um, colors, different shades of hair and different shades of skin that lead to the impurity. So the Rambam tells us that um, the status of a Metzorah has to be pronounced by a Kohen. Very interesting. It can't be, it's not like you take it to a rabbi. You go to a, a court. It has to be a Kohen. It has to be a Kohen. And it could be any Kohen. Even if the Kohen doesn't know the laws, you could take it to a Kohen, and the Rambam says, you know what they would do? They would put a learned person, anybody who knows the laws of Tzaras, put that person next to a Kohen, and that's it. And the person would tell the Kohen, is it pure, is it impure? And finito. And you move on, no problem. He says, the Kohen, however, had to utter that one word. The Kohen had to utter that one word. Okay. And the Rambam gives a hypothetical case um, of a Kohen who was ignorant into the laws of Tzaras, and he calls him a Kohen Shota, a Kohen fool, a foolish Kohen. It's a very strong expression. Now, usually a Shota means a person who does not have mental capabilities. That's usually the way a Shota, like a Shota is not obligated in mitzvahs. That's a classic example from a Mishnah, right? A Shota is not obligated in mitzvahs. The question is, how can you have, how can the Rambam say that a Shota who's a Kohen, could declare Tameh or Tahar, it's not even a declaration if you don't even know the word you're saying. If somebody's so far gone that they're in a status of Shota, so why does the word even matter? Um, so the Kesef Mishnah explains the following. Kesef Mishnah is one of the, explanation, one of, uh, the commentaries on the Rambam. He says something that's mind-blowing. Um, he says that... What did a Kohen do the whole day? What was a Kohen? When we had a base on Mikdash, we had Saras, we had everything. What did a Kohen do the whole day? So they worked two weeks a year. Sometimes three. Uh, we should say they worked two weeks a year plus holidays. Okay, plus holidays. All right, in general. Now, what were they doing the rest of the time? They ate. Huh? They were eating all the, <laughs> they're eating all the truma. Right, they're eating all the truth when they brought them. Okay, it's a good, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. But you know what they were doing? They were learning and teaching. That's really what they did. They were the the tribe of Levi was the kolal of Klal Yisrael. That was their job. That that was their job. That that's exactly what they were responsible to do. So it can't be says the Kesef Mishnah. It can't be that we're dealing with somebody who has completely has no mental capabilities because then even uttering something shouldn't do anything. He says, you know why we're calling this Kohen a Kohen Shota? Because we're saying, listen, Mr. Kohen, you don't know the laws of Taras. That's all we're asking you to do. We're putting you to work on holidays in two weeks a year. 
And you've got another uh, 46 weeks or so to learn to study. Why don't you know? You're foolishly wasting your time. There's really no excuse. If a person has the, uh, the mental abilities, which you need to have in order to utter this, why don't you know? And therefore, he says, the Rambam is actually teaching us a, a message in utilizing our life, utilizing our time. And if, uh, if, uh, you know, if, there's, if we're given the time to be able to use it in, in a way where we could develop ourselves, and this is exactly what you're cut out for, this is your avoda, so then you have no excuse. Your financial needs are completely taken care of, like, uh, like Orly was saying. You know what I mean? Like, it's everybody, you know, hopefully you're liked enough that people are bringing them. There's nothing else. Therefore, um, he, he says, that's why the Rambam uses a very, uh, a very strong word. Okay. Now, the Tsaras worked, it progressed. This is very important to know. Tsaras, if somebody spoke Lashon Hara, let's say, or negatively, you know, uh, so Tsaras didn't immediately crop up on the skin. The way it worked is that Tsaras first would crop up on the walls of the home. Very interesting. The Kohen would check out the walls of the home and there was certain patches, which we learn in our parsha, certain colors that come up that didn't belong there on the stones. And a trained Kohen would come down and let us know. And then they would put the house in quarantine. And um, actually before they put in quarantine, they would remove all the items because the rule is that as soon as the house is declared impure, everything in the house became impure too. So first they would take everything out of the house so this way it wouldn't become impure, which also is a beautiful message in life. That, you know, to, uh, you don't ju- even if somebody's sinning, you don't just go ahead and declare impure and, and, and cause more damage than you have to. So if, if it's all about the uttering of the word of Tame, before you say Tame, clear out the house, which leads to an, a different beautiful uh, Dvar Torah, a little frightening one going back to Machlokas, um, in Parsha Shoftim, later on in Devarim, in Parsha Shoftim, there's a verse which says, Ki mimcha hadavar. If the matter is astounding to you, which in the, the, simple meaning, the simple meaning is, I don't know the answer. Okay, like I'm astounded. I don't know what to do. Ki mimcha hadavar. When a court doesn't know what to do. Being dam ladam, if this blood is an impure type of blood, a pure type of blood, between what to do in judgment, it goes through all these, you don't know what to do, so what does it say? You, you go to the place where you find completion, you go to the Sanhedrin that sat in Yerushalayim, and you ask them, meaning there's such a crazy question, that goes to the Sanhedrin, that's what the verse seems on a very basic level. The Kutzka Rebbe has a whole different, uh, has a whole additional drush, a drush on this, he says like this, if a Jew is ever astounded, what are you astounded by? Listen to this. He says, you know, there's a law, you're not allowed to slaughter a mother and baby calf the same day. It applies nowadays. If you have a mother cow and a baby calf, you can't, you can't shech the both the same day. So I'm astounded, you know something? I don't understand. There's a rule you can't do that but God kills out families in a car accident in a moment. Hashem, I don't understand you. You give us a law, but there's families, Nebuch, it's going on in Ukraine, right? In one instant, families are wiped out. The Holocaust, the Tsars. 
mean, dam ladam. Why do you allow? Uh, uh, that's that's uh, mishpat and mishpat. But uh, and what what about the, this blood and that blood? There's some blood that needs to be covered. You're supposed to cover over the blood of a chicken when you when you shecht it or a wild animal. And then nebuch, there's blood flowing in the streets. Bindam ladam. It goes through. It's uh, it's hard for me to even uh, express it, but it's such a beautiful idea. And he says, there's tsaris out there. And we're in shock. We're, we're, it's a pella. That's why keep it's, it's a pella to us. So you know what the verse continues? It says, divrei rivais bisharecha, which means you can't come to a conclusion. Divrei rivos, the word riv means quarreling. He says, the first place you look when there's tsaris is quarreling amongst Jews. Jews not getting along. So what's the etza? So what do you do? The kamta alisa, you go up to the place that you get the answers to in Yerushalayim. What is the translation of Yerushalayim? What is it? Break up the word. Ir Shalim, the city of completion. The city of completeness where everybody comes together. He says, the answer is, go make Shalom. <laughs> that, that's the answer to the, uh, to the Pasuk. He says, you want, you want to make sure that Tsarists stop because the Baruch Hu says, the first place to go is not to start blaming everybody about they're not davening hard enough, they're not uh, doing this enough. And the first place to look is, uh, is at our, Lechavero, <clears throat> at our... Um, interpersonal relationships. Okay, one more idea, and then uh, we'll take some questions over here. One more idea on the uh, Mitzorah is that, so it goes on his house, and then if a person still does, if you do tshuva, it's going to be gone. That's it. If you don't do tshuva, then it moves on to the person's clothes. And if it still doesn't do tshuva, it moves on to your body. So when we talk about the hairs and the parts of the body, this is already like, you've had multiple, multiple, multiple warnings, and you're still not learning your lesson which to us is surprising, but as we've spoken out from Rabbi Leib Steinman and other times, and this is human psyche, it's, it's, it's so much, it's so easy to establish ourselves that whatever we're doing is righteousness, that even when we're doing Averos, we're convinced it's righteousness. It's a very easy place to go, right? The biggest, the most wicked people think they're doing the world a favor. So there are, it's very possible for the human mind to go there. Right, without mentioning all the all the wicked and you know yamach shemay may all their names be erased, but why were they doing this? You think they were thinking to themselves, "Oh, I'm doing this because I'm wicked"? No, it's because you know it's uh, there has to be one human race. There has to be uh, this. There has to be they're, they're doing the world a favor. I'm, I'm a big tzaddik. Once we entrench ourselves, even in more subtle ways in our own lives, we entrench ourselves that what I'm doing is right. There's no way I could ever change. So I'm just going to keep going. My house? Yeah, I'm, I'm being a tzaddik. Huh? I didn't speak Lashon Hara. It was a mitzvah to say that about the person because they're going against Hashem. And they're, they, you know, what, what they did, they should never have done and they're wicked and therefore what I'm doing is correct. Okay, and then you move on to the next thing. I, but, uh, oh, st- it's because I'm not making a big enough of a dispute about this. Right? I got to make a bigger fight. That's why Hashem's upset at me. We, we, a person can never stop. It, it, this is a, a natural response that people have if, if, if we don't take our messages honestly. So then finally it ends up on the person's body. What happens when a person becomes a Mitzorah? So there's a fascinating halacha, which the Torah tells us, he goes outside the camp, and in Pasuk Memhei, it's uh, 45, it says, Tamei Tamei this person has to go outside the camp, and anytime somebody else passes by, you say, Tamei Tamei. You have to tell them you're Tamei. You call out, Tamei Tamei. So you have to call up. You have to tell them your tummy. Okay? Why? Why? Listen to this. Listen to what the Gemara says why. This is, blow your mind. 
Says the Gemara, Tame Tame Yikra teaches me when somebody walks by, he should call out so that they know to pray for him. He needs help. He's in, he's in a pathetic situation. He's not getting any messages. He's not. He's sitting outside the camp. He's full of tzaras. Lost. Tommy Tamiyakar thinks like, you know, we, you read the Pusik, it seems like it's because he has to put on a dunce cap in the corner of the room like they used to do in school. Right? Tell everybody you're, tell everybody you're Russia. That's not what it is. Says the Gemara, you have to let the community know so that they know to help to, to daven for extra siyata dishmaya. So that, uh, you know, you have a, li- a, li- a little more uh, push for, for uh, divine help. And the Gemara says, you see from here that if a person has a tree that's not producing fruit, I own a field and I own an apple tree and the, apple, and the tree stopped producing fruit, says the Gemara. You learn, you learn from this verse of Tamei Tamei Ikra that it's appropriate for a Jew to mark their tree with a red mark so that passersby will know that this tree unfortunately is not producing and they'll pray for your tree. That you should have apples. You hear this? So if Shamsha Pikas points out, you know, th- th- this was normal. This was normal. People saw somebody else's tree not producing. What was the normal reaction? Of course, a red mark. I'm going to dive in for them. Of course. <laughs> like, no problem. You know? People would pray for each other. It was, like, it was like a mishpacha. They took care of each other. Now it's like, can you please pray for me? Okay, I'll think about it for 10 seconds. You know, God help them. Next. You know. It's like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to pray. I don't know what to say for you. You want an apple? Go take an apple. Here's an apple. Like, <laughs> I don't even know like, what, what exactly what the, does that mean. Shan Shabika says, but people like davening, praying, like having a conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they understood the power of tefillah. They understood the power of prayer. How much more so if you hear somebody sick, so on and so forth. But there's another element to bring out from this. And we'll, we'll, um, we'll uh, hold it here after this. And that is, not only do we mark it off not only do we see the importance of praying for others, but we see the importance of letting people know when we need their prayers. Tame tame yikra means don't sit off to the side and try to handle life by yourself. You have a community for a reason. Now we're entitled to privacy. You don't have to tell everybody everything that's going on in your life. But sometimes, sometimes, and there's a balance, and I'm not saying, yeah, we're going we're to have to balance. But sometimes, we perhaps hesitate when we could use help because we don't want to put our burdens on others. No, I don't want to bother. I don't want to tell, let people know that I'm going through something. I could really, their prayers could really help. But whatever. I don't want to tell them. It's just going to, they can make them worried. I don't want to be, the apostle here is letting us know that's what a community is for. Don't worry about it. People are here for each other. Again, we have rights to privacy. You don't need to talk about everything that's going on every time you stub your toe, you know, whatever it is. You know, you, have to get, you don't have to do these things. And, or if, even if there's severe illnesses, sometimes people, they, you know, there's a lot, a lot to be taken into account. But it's important to note this idea. The idea of Tame Tame Yikra, that there is a point in time where as a community, we can put our burdens on everybody else. And we could say, listen, that's what Kali Yisrael is for. I don't need to be so concerned about people being worried about me. I could use their help now and, um, and tummy, tummy, yikra, and to call out and, and let people know so that they can pray on our behalf. So those are the two, the two ends that we can pull out of this Pasuk. Okay, take any questions if anybody has anything to know.